the funny thing is that I don't know anybody who doesn't love that movie. Well, you. I love what Andy Warhol said about this movie. He called it a clockwork orange of the 1980s. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. Especially of his outright horror movies. This is maybe my favorite. It's so unseemly. It's so nasty. Welcome back. We are live from Gateway Film Center for Fright Club Live. Is there a fourth rule of Fright Club? Should we come up with one? We've started. Started. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is Fright Club Podcast Live from Gateway Film Center. And um, yeah, it was. Hey, welcome. Come on in. She's two fisted and popcorned. Yeah, we're back with uh, with a, a movie that it was one that we we took a while to settle on, but it's it's once we got it, I think people are excited about it. So this should be fun. We're going to talk about broadcast horror. And how did you settle on that particular uh, topic? Do you really want to hear the story about how I settled on this particular topic? Is it long? We had trouble landing the first ten movies that I wanted to show tonight. <laughs> And so, on the phone, I was just shouting out other movies. And then I said, potty pool. And then he goes, done. And so... The pandemic has affected a lot of things. <laughs> really One has. of those is distribution. Yes, especially so, uh, for really obscure films, which is what we, of course, tend to lean towards. So, that, yeah. was, how we, that was how we landed okay, on Okay, well, that's all right, though. Yeah. It's going to be great. People I are excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, as soon as we announced it, I saw a lot, of, a lot of great feedback. So, we'll get to that. But, boy, talk about feedback. We had a great time. La it was bonus content yeah, it was. last Fright Club podcast as we had the great Felissa Rose on as our guest. How it, fun was that? It was very fun. Yeah. Yes. She's the nicest lady in the whole wide world, and uh, she tells really funny stories. She does. We had a great time with her at the couple of live events that we did. And we may be, we just found out a couple of days ago, we may be hosting some more events with her in the future. Don't know about that for sure yet, but... Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk about that if it comes to pass, but that would be fun because yeah, she's just great. She's fantastic with the fans, as yeah, anybody that was in the crowd here at her events found out. Uh, she loves interacting and has a great time with everybody. So uh, and she does have some great stories, and it was great to get her on. So anytime we have somebody like that, we're glad to put some bonus content on the Fright Club podcast. That's right, and actually we had a bonus Fright Club live last time because. Werewolves Within was yeah. our second one in the month of June, That's and right. that was incredibly fun. Bonus. Bonus. It's all good. So yes. we're talking about broadcast horror. Any particular rules we should know about? So the, I was looking at a whole bunch of different options like TV and radio and podcasting. There's a lot of different possibilities, and there are a couple that uh, I really assumed that we were going to talk about because they're excellent movies, so Poltergeist and ring slash ring goo. Mm -hmm. But then what I, what I wound up landing on is broadcast that's sort of broad, right? So it really affects everybody. Like something that really picks up on the paranoia of there's like radio waves. There's, a, there's something that we can get to. So that's really what we focused on. Um, and speaking of that, online radio waves and reaching out to a bunch of people, we got nominated for podcast award and we want them all to get online and vote for us. We did. Thank you. Thank you. We got nominated for the Columbus Podcast Awards. This is the second year. Obviously, last year they skipped. They did, which is kind of strange because people listen to more podcasts last year than ever before because right. we had nothing else to do. But even though the voting is online, they actually have a real flesh and blood ceremony. Yes, they do. If you can believe that. So uh, as they'll do again this year. So, yeah, we are nominated in the TV and film category. So if you go to uh, ColumbusPodcastAwards.com and then the nominations portion and vote for us, we would really be be happy about it because i'm not gonna lie we want to win we, do. we want to win we didn't win 
two years ago when we were nominated, and I was bummed. Yeah, I was so. Bummed as well. um, I, I'd lo- I'd love to win. We'd love to win. We so would. if you can vote for us, thank you so much. <laughs> um, and I think the voting goes until August eighth or something like that. Absolutely so no idea. Got a little bit of time. We'll have more on that once the uh, the awards get closer. So. Yeah, so uh, broadcast horror. Do we have anything that just almost made it? You mentioned a couple already, but are there any others that didn't make the top five? Yeah, I mean, there were just some that I was thinking about until I really narrowed down um, kind of the specific type of work. Because there really are a ton, you know, so you could do The Fog. They're like the, the good oh, yeah. kind of broadcast, right? The Fog, the new the Quiet Place, too. Um, there are uh, the bad kind of podcast or, or broadcasts, like Trick or Treat, which is also a bad kind of movie. Um, <laughs> Batman Forever. That's uh, that's the same. It's not a horror movie, but it's the same concept that we actually went with. Plus Val Kilmer. Um, it's a terrible movie, but Val <laughs> Kilmer. So what were some other? The Cleansing Hour. That's not very good. Lords of Salem. I know how much you love that movie. Oh, oh, yes. So that's the. T- that's Monty, the oh, there's, type? A, there's a, I've got two thumbs up and one down. Lords of Salem. <laughs> anyone? Yes. Terrible. Oh, Seth gives a thumbs up. Wow. Thumbs up there. Okay. There's some. Rob Zombie has some real fans. I know he you does. You know, so, and, yeah. uh, and as his movies go, Lords of Salem is not one of the worst. It's definitely not. <laughs> um, but so, anyway, those were, those were some of the ones that I was thinking uh, of. And then, you know, and I kind of thought that maybe Lords of Salem would be, like, kind of low-hanging fruit on this list, and then it would be fun to hear George Bitch about it. But then I realized, actually, there are five very solid yeah. movies. And so and the five is already up there, obviously, because I skipped ahead because of my... <laughs> my inadequate tech skills. This is where Felissa Rose would come in and call them big drunk fingers. Um, yes. Right? I was uh, drunk finger. Yeah, yeah, big drunk fingers. Big drunk fingers? Because anyway, I was taking pictures for her, and eventually they were terrible because I was drunk, and my fingers <laughs> were just getting in the way. So that's my pet name. So, yeah, so proud. they skipped ahead. So just ignore that. <laughs> ignore that slide right there. Okay, and actually I think, uh, scanning down this list, I think we probably have talked about all these at one point or another, but some of them not for a while. Right. So that's good. So uh, we've definitely got some good broadcast horror to talk about. Is that it? You want to yeah, jump in? Yeah, just jump it? in. Uh, do you have any good broadcast horror stories? You know, I've been pretty lucky, Knockwood. I've never, you know, back when we were live all the time on radio, I never let an F-bomb go. <clears throat> um, I think most of mine, the only horror stories I have, have to do with falling asleep. One time I did fall asleep on the air. Um, <laughs> Back when I was first starting out in small town Ohio radio, and I was doing the early Sunday morning shift, and we had, yeah, and we had live preachers on the air and live church programming, and it would be at a half an hour stretch at a time, and I thought, well, I'll just lay my head down, you know, half hour out. Next thing I know, the live preacher that was on the air had gotten up and left, and didn't <laughs> didn't wake me up, and uh, so I was I was scrambling a little bit, but that was about it. So um, hopefully I'm I'm not cursing myself here, but nothing like this. This no. is real yep. broadcast horror, scary stuff. So let's start with number five. What could it be? <laughs> I don't know. It's I a wonder. Surprise. <laughs> this is from 1988. <laughs> they influence our decisions without us knowing it. They numb our senses without us feeling it. They control our lives without us realizing it. They live. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like tattletale. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push button. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick And I'm all out of bubblegum. Like so many great lines in movies the uh bubblegum line was ad-libbed that was a a line that roddy piper i guess he 
during his wrestling career, he had a notebook. He just put down little phrases that he thought would work in some of the uh, some of the performances, and that was one of them. And it, it, it worked perfectly. It's gone on to be iconic, of course. As is his mullet. <laughs> He's so great in this movie. And this, you know, I actually think this is much more of a sort of a, a sci-fi action hybrid than a horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it felt like it really had to be on here. Also, yeah. John Carpenter, whenever you could put a John Carpenter movie, you know, on your list, you should. And also Keith David. Oh, my God. Keith David is just the greatest, like, screen presence ever. And, uh, and it was just uh, an incredibly, insanely fun, really, unfortunately, prescient film yeah. when it came out like none of us do and you know as I watch it now I think to myself the biggest difference is that Fox News is way more blatant they're just <laughs> out with it you don't need sunglasses it's fine we're just going to tell you obey <laughs> but it's just uh, it's it's an incredibly fun and of course I think it's mainly at this point well probably the obey right now at this point is what it's mainly known for but for a really long time it was that nine minute fisticuffs right with Roddy Ryder Piper and um, Keith David which is still an incredibly fun fight scene to watch which was directly referenced in the south park cripple fight which i thought was fantastic (laughs) it's just one of the many things about this movie that has seeped into popular culture the obey thing was uh, taken by shepherd fairy artist shepherd fairy and he turned a whole campaign with that obey and and of course that uh bubblegum line there's so many things over the years as a lot of or several John Carpenter movies have come to do. Things oh, about it right. just become part of the fabric and part of the, the popular culture. But you're right. When you're talking about broadcast, or you've got to include this because you do. of just the subject matter. Also, I think Meg Foster is particularly good in this movie. I love that Rowdy Rowdy Piper, you know, is like pleading with her, clearly is like very, you know, I think attracted to her and, and, and that she's just, she's so icy. She's so cool and manipulative the whole time. And it's those, she's got those, Creepy eyes. Oh, yeah. You know? And, of course, she's also in Lords of Salem. She is. So that was a nice callback by, of course, that is one of the things that Zombie does incredibly well is callback to other horror films. Yeah, she has, uh, if we ever, ever do eyes in horror movies, she's oh, got to yeah. be up there. And she does. Incredible eyes. And that is number five on our list of broadcast horror, They Live, from 1988. And we haven't skipped ahead on the slides. No. Good, good job out of you. Thank so you. So this is number four <laughs> from 1982. Kids all over America want silver shamrock masks for Halloween. Yeah, you got it. Dr. Daniel Chalice seeks to uncover a plot by silver shamrock owner. Colonel Cochran in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. First, there was Halloween. Then the terror continued with Halloween 2. Now, Halloween 3, the night no one comes home. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Happy Halloween. Rated R. Check newspapers. There's a reason I chose that trailer. Because it's such a funny idea to me that when they launched this movie, they didn't even let anybody know that Michael Myers wasn't in this movie. They gave you no sense of it at all. They even used basically the same tagline. It was just like the night he came home, no one comes home. Oh, my God, he kills the whole town. (laughs) But he's not even here. It's become such a polarizing movie over the years. And I had a couple of comments here as we're showing the trailer, people that love it and other people hate it for that reason and for other reasons that it became a a Halloween movie that is it really a Halloween movie without Michael Myers? It's a funny thing is that I don't know anybody who doesn't love that movie. I, well, you. <laughs> <laughs> but go on. <laughs> I mean, it's because I think every year it comes out as like one of those like misunderstood, underrated. And I'm like, no, it's 
for, from the people I spend, he's it's borderline overrated. People fucking love this movie, and part of it is Tom Atkins. Yeah, oh everybody yeah. who likes horror movies loves Tom Atkins. Yep, that um, I, that I totally get. And I, and he's also he's especially fun whenever he's playing like. You know, he used to be a good guy at one point, but now he's a drunk and he's, you know, like he needs to, you know, redeem himself. Like he's just so great in that particular character. But also this is a really fun idea, like the broadcast idea in this and the like the just horrific plan that they have that all of these kids are going to put these masks on. Also, the masks are fucking awesome. <laughs> and then they're going to watch this TV show, and then their heads are just going to melt under the mask. And it's such a cool, incredibly gross idea. It's awesome. But it's such a, it's a, it was such a funny idea about trying to weave it in to the Halloween mythology. And they do try to very hard for, through the whole rest of the thing. They wind up weaving it in. There's this whole sort of Celtic subplot. And when you get to the later ones, you know, the people who... Remember the one where the people actually have Michael Myers somewhere in their facility and he's having sex with his niece and they have a baby together? Wow, he was a lot more amenable to your plans than to anybody <laughs> else's. Anyway, they're part of this whole, and it's also, it's Irish and Shamrock, and mm-hmm. yet it's Halloween, and it's, it's very fucked up. The whole thing is just so confusing and odd. But a gem, I think, in itself. And it's... Relative failure, though, at the box office is what guaranteed the return of Michael Myers for the rest of them. Yes. Because I think the story goes, the plan was to try to move it away after the second one, and they were going to kill off uh, Loomis and Michael Myers for good, and then this one didn't work. So, no, we go back to what the people want, and we've That's had right. it ever since. Yeah, And that is number four, Broadcast Horror, Season of the Witch, Halloween 3, from 1982. Moving up to number three, and this one is from 2007. It's a horror film told in three parts from three perspectives in which a mysterious transmission that turns people into killers invades every cell phone, radio, and television. It's the signal. I see it in the streets, all the terminus. It's happening everywhere. People are going crazy in their head all over. That TV down in your brain and has distorted your perception. I'm not crazy like those others. Why can't you just keep your mouth shut and watch TV? This was shot in 13 days and three different directors, and they each take a different approach to the transmission. The first one is more of a visceral horror, and then the second one is dark comedy, and then the third one is an apocalyptic love story. So sometimes when you have three or or multiple directors, you can get kind of a tonal whiplash on, uh, on films. But I think especially for putting together in, in 13 days, this one hangs together pretty well. It does, actually. I really, I'm a very big fan of this movie. And, um, and it does a lot of the same things that Pontypool is going to do when we see it. And I don't know that it does it as well. But I actually, and I, I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of anthology mm-hmm. horror. And I love this one. When we did anthology horror, this was on the list. And my favorite of the three segments is actually uh, the one in the middle, which has very little to do with. The, the love affair that sustains one and three. A.J. Bowen is in this, and he's in a lot of things. He's in Your Next. He'll, he's in a lot of things. And, uh, and he plays sort of this abusive ex-husband, and he stumbles into almost this weird sitcom birthday party yeah. situation. And it's so bizarre and so much fun in a very dark way. And they just keep going, have you got the crazy? Well, does, he, <laughs> does he have the crazy? Like, in, at this birthday party, everybody just recognizes somehow there's this infectious disease going around and people just catch the crazy. And it now, revisiting it, 
it reminds me, as do, do all plague horrors, reminds me of now. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, it's a, it is a, I think it's a really clever movie, and it clearly draws, all of these movies are essentially zombie movies, right? They, mm. Without zombies. And it draws not just on the traditional Romero zombie movies, but particularly on his film, The Crazies. It's very, very similar to that idea. Um, but I think that it's done in a really interesting way. And for me, the three different approaches to telling this one story work very well. Yeah, I think so too. And of those 13 days that they used to shoot, the cast spent three days living together in a camp in order to flesh out their characters and, and, and prior to the shooting movie. So it was a sort of a, for just 13 days, it's kind of going away to camp and getting this thing done. And it doesn't really, you know, the, the, the frayed edges, I guess, of something done so guerrilla-like really don't show. No, I, mean, I agree uh, with yeah, you. Yeah, I think you're right for, a, for an anthology. It holds together, and that is The Signal. Uh, number three on our list of broadcast horror. And moving up to the one that we're going to see tonight here in just a little bit. This is number two on our list from 2008. A radio host interprets the possible outbreak of a deadly virus which infects the small Ontario town he is stationed in, Pontypool. Hail Mary, yellow I walk. We go to Ken Loney in the Sunshine Chopper. Oh, God. They're pulling two people out of a van. Who are those? People are getting killed out there. Oh. Ken, are you there, Ken? <laughs> they cut into our signals. <laughs> See, right away, that movie gets a th- thumbs up from me because when the DJ is on the air, he's right next to the microphone like they actually do it. I see these radio stations and movies and TV, and they're all the way across the room. Or on- no. Y'all are going to sit as far away from us as you can during this movie <laughs> because he's going to lean in the whole time. That board, that's really a kind of board that we used back in the night. He's going to do it the whole time. No. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. In fact, we don't want to say too much about no. this because we're going to show it here. How many people have not seen it already? A good number. Yay! I love that. I do, too. Uh, we will say that there is a town. Pontypool is about one hour northeast of Toronto in Ontario, Canada. And also that Steve McCaddy is just a gem. He's just yes. a treasure. Yes, and we should mention that there is an end credit stinger with this movie, and uh, I would say we don't want to spoil anything by talking about it, but it re- <laughs> it's so it's so nonsensical, it kind of makes sense if you think about it in the whole context of the movie. It has a little bit of a Kill Bill vibe about it, and they mention the names Lisa the Killer and Johnny Deadeyes, which are not these two people's characters in the movies, but they are their characters in a movie the same filmmakers would make 10 years later or more um, called Dreamland. Dreamland is by no means a sequel to this movie in any way, uh, and so it's interesting that there is a post-credits. It doesn't make sense, but that's okay because the movie is about not making sense. Right, especially if you pay a close attention to the really the opening monologue of Stephen McCaddy's character uh, in the beginning talking about Norman Mailer and, and how he talked about trying to find a relation in unrelated things. Yeah, That could maybe help you understand what uh, he's getting at with that end credit scene. But just wanted to point out that there is one, and maybe that's all we should say about that. <laughs> so uh, we won't go into it, but as always, after the movie's over, I'd love to get your comments. If you want to come down, we'd love to make you a part of the podcast if you want to tell us uh, your reactions to the movie. 93 minutes later. What do you think? Had you seen this before? I had. It's been a long time, at least 10 years since I've seen it, and there's two things that I really love about this movie. Uh, the, the first being 
how much happens off screen and is described. And the dialogue never feels contrived or it, it feels very real to radio or very real to, uh, to journalism uh, itself. And the second being that, you know, how McHattie plays his character as a very low rent, small town Canadian Don Imus. I love that so much. <laughs> very much so. With the cowboy hat, he was definitely doing the Don Imus. It reminded me a lot of, uh, it, would, it probably won't surprise you to know, it was influenced by, you know, the original War of the Worlds broadcast. Right. And I remember... As a kid, it's how nerdy I was. I had a, an album of the original War of the Worlds broadcast. I would listen to it all the time. And some of the, especially with uh, the chopper, Guy Ken, a lot of it reminded me of the way they did War of the Worlds. And it is very, very theater of the mind. Like you said, very theater of the mind. There's a lot, a lot is going on outside. And, uh, it's, it, and, it, and it gets, even though it's funny in some spots, it also gets very chilling. You know, I think uh, one of the things that I find this most impressive about this film is y how much it uh, manages to get across with such a clearly low budget and limited. It's just, there's one set. They don't ever go outside except for uh, on the drive-in. You you see very, very little. And then here's the thing. So they spent the money on some practical effects because that face, Lorelai, when she's on the ground and she's got like that swollen lip, right. that looked good. It did. And they'd come back to it. It's like shiny and white. That was a good swollen lip. It was a good... They did a really good job, I think, of, of where they spent their money because when you're out on the field with Ken, it, you know, you're you're really worried for Ken, you know, and but you don't actually see anything at all. It's kind of amazing, I think, in, in, in a lot of instances when you're watching a film and they're just telling you what's happening and you don't ever see anything at all that's happening, a lot of times you feel that. You feel like, okay, maybe... Maybe this is like a guy who doesn't have any money to make a movie. And I really don't think that this this film gives you that. You, you feel very much like something is going on. And that, it was Bruce McDonald, who's the director. He has actually described the victims of the virus as con uh, not as zombies, but as conversationless, uh, which is an interesting word. Yeah. That's really because funny. Because you, you wouldn't call them zombies because they're not dead. No. Anybody else? Any other comments? I I think it's interesting that language is the source of infection here because it drives home the point that language can be just as dangerous as microbes or viruses or whatever. Um, you know, Richard Dawkins has this, he coined the notion of the meme and he also is famous for his research on genes and he is saw that culture can replicate itself and have a life of its own just in the same way that genes seem programmed to do. So I don't know. Just thought that was a very interesting aspect of the movie. Well, I think it's very much, can very much be taken as, as a comment on the language and more specifically the language that is being broadcast in different media, especially when you look at the time that this came out in 2008, um, talk radio and how the, the different fragmented segments of the media are influencing people. That You can read that into this as well, how people perceive language, how language can be weaponized, very much so uh, in this movie. One of the things I think is fascinating is that it's just the English language mm -hmm. and that they bring up, is it separate? Is it separatist? Is it, you know, it takes place in Canada. And so if you speak French, you're okay. And I think that that is a fascinating idea. <laughs> it's kind of like the rest of the whole globe going, fuck these people. Seriously, <laughs> they are the source of all of our problems. Because the Canadians are so polite. <laughs> also had very good use of the... Um, it's a it's a pet of mine. The soundtrack is awesome with all the sound effects, 
and that particularly that one close-up where Grant is trying to figure out what's going on, trying to understand the conversation, and they just keep getting closer till it's almost a space ball close-up. That brought home to me. That, they, they made you care about the three main characters. I also think, I think that's very effective because uh, for a long time, kind of like also when you watch The Thing, they're making you ask, they're asking you, do they have it? Do they not have it? You know, and, and I think when they, especially in that the super close-up of Grant is that, and then he starts kind of acting a little strangely and he's hearing something in his headphones and they give you this sense that, you know, maybe he's going to have it. Maybe he's going to be the next person. And I think that was really an effective use of that sort of extreme close-up. It reminded me too, especially toward the end when they start inverting the meanings of words, kisses, kill, things like this. It reminded me of of 1984 and you know ignorance yeah. is is strength and, yeah. and and everything like that uh, so there's a lot of uh, different layers that he also has it. a great he has a great radio voice he does <laughs> yeah he does they, they pull the radio stuff off pretty well appreciate it good thoughts and uh again we'll get this edited and out on your favorite podcast app on monday so we'll just move on and we'll just move on right up to Number one on our list of broadcast horror, I bet you can guess. It's from 1983, a programmer at a TV station that specializes in adult entertainment. Searches for the producers of a dangerous and bizarre broadcast, Videodrome. Max Wren is a victim. I woke up with a headache. He has been exposed to Videodrome. I've been hallucinating for a while, ever since... What? Since I first saw Videodrome. Soon, his visions will coalesce and become uncontrollable flesh. Television can change your mind. Videodrome will change your body. Long live the new flesh. You have no idea how excited I was to come across this trailer. I've never seen this trailer before. I know. I love it. (laughs) I'm going to play it on a loop on my computer at home. I love this trailer so much. I love what Andy Warhol said about this movie. He called it a clockwork orange of the 1980s. Oh, nice. Uh Uh-huh. That's a good line. That is a good line. And it is so weird. Of course, it is Cronenberg. So, of course, we're talking body horror. And one one great thing about it is that the videotapes used in, as a lot of the key props, they were Betamax. Betamax. (laughs) It's because the VHS cassettes were too large to fit into the false stomach of the body horror. So, Betamax proved useful before uh, before they died out. I think at the time, it's not like Cronenberg wasn't already a star. He was. But it was really the idea of Debbie Harry being in this movie. And mm-hmm. this is what people, that's, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, that's all I remember people talking about. Debbie Harry is going to be in this this horror movie. The yeah, timing because, was perfect. B- yeah, the timing. Blondie had just become huge at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, even for the late 70s, they were popular. But in the, in the early 80s, they exploded. Yeah. But it was such a weird role for her to decide to take at that point because really they had kind of turned pop at that time. They were mm-hmm. very popular. Yeah. And then for her to be in this particular role in this yeah. particular movie, it was kind of, that was very punk rock of her. So good for her. Also, James Woods plays a dick. What? <laughs> that had to be a stretch. Although apparently it was his idea. They, they filmed three different endings and apparently the ending that they used was his idea. So I don't if buy that's that. true, we'll give him credit. True. Um. But I love the idea that it wouldn't really have mattered at all how it ended. It, mm. You know, it wouldn't have mattered at all. I love Cronenberg so much. And this is really, this is one of, especially of his outright horror movies, this is maybe my favorite. It's just, it's so unseemly. It's so nasty um, and just bizarre and weird in a way that, uh, it's not like anything else he did looked like any other filmmaker. I mean, he was completely, so entirely his own. But this was like, 
borderline self-indulgent him being entirely his own. But also I think that he got great performances, which is not always the case in Cronenberg movies. That's I mean, true. We all love Scanners, but really only Michael Ironside can act in that movie. And so I thought that, that was a, this was a big step forward, I thought, in terms of, of acting, right? And then he would go on later to, to do, um, like, with some really great actors and everything. But I really thought that this movie was just, especially for as just gross and nasty as it was, yeah. incredibly well made. And anyone that took communication classes in college will find it not surprising that the character of uh, Brian Oblivion is based on Marshall McLuhan, media critic. And uh, David Cronenberg was actually a student of his, of his, the actual Marshall McLuhan wow. in college, which was uh, interesting. And this one, very much a commentary on, on media, not just broadcast, that why it fits this podcast here, but just media in general right. and the effect of media and the, the whole we are the new flesh thing. Right. And you could say you could you could say it's prescient as well, really. You really could. And one of the things I love about almost every uh, Cronenberg movie that really that does deal with tech, and it does, I mean, so many of his do, is how immediately dated that tech is <laughs> and how what a great, glorious sort of retro timestamp it puts on all of his movies. Like, even by the time this movie came out, like they were using Betamax. By the time mm-hmm. the movie came out, it's the tech was not futuristic at all. Right. Even if the whole film was supposed to be set somewhat in the future because this was going on. And I just love that about his aesthetic. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We were just commenting, uh, I think, just this week as we watched. Uh, there's a new movie out this week called Gunpowder Milkshake, and they use a lot of ambiguous technology in it. So you're not quite sure. You know, they don't want to really cement the timestamp. So yeah. it's a flip phone at one point. Like, would they be using a flip phone? Yeah, and there's a, a Walkman with a cassette in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. They, so they do that in It Follows, yeah. too, right? It's like they have, a, they have a TV with an antenna on it, yeah. but they have some like an e-reader inside a seashell or something. So sometimes it's, it's, that's, yeah. that's very much on purpose yeah, to try so to too. make it ambiguous, but not here. I mean, they use Betamax. They, they probably want to use LaserDisc. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they went to Media Play, and they were all out. <laughs> there was no Media Play in 1983. <laughs> anyway, it's number one on our list of broadcast horror. we got to get moving because we got a movie to show. We do. Uh, number one is Videodrome. So, again, please come down and uh, give us your comments about Pontypool here when it's over. In the meantime, this will be all edited and all the everything fixed in post. And uh, should be live on a Monday. You can find it, of course, uh, at MadWolf.com or Fright Club Pod. You can find us on Twitter and uh, keep the conversation going. And, of course, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and Instagram. So it's all fun. And, uh, well, well, do we know anything that we have coming in the future here? We probably don't know the next Fright Club Live. I mean, we know it's going to be the second week, the second Wednesday of August. We, we probably do. don't know the movie yet. We do not. We know that the, uh, the next one in, in July is going to be with our man from the future, Corey Metcalf from mm-hmm. Australia. And we are going to talk about this is one that came up sometime back. We did a poll about topics and somebody's poll was gyms. Horror that takes place in a gym, and okay. so uh, and so that's the one we're going to do uh, with Corey, Man from the Future. Okay. Uh, at the end of July. Gyms. Gyms. All right, we'll find it. We'll uh, we'll see what's horrific Quick poll in the gym while we're here. So workout gyms, gymnasiums, bit of both. Where you guys land? It's all over the board. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right I'm sure you'll. Yes, that's a thing. High school gyms right there. I can think of nine. I've got nine in my head. And so that doesn't leave what that about money for the workout gyms, which then you got the barbell on the neck, right? Like, happy birthday to me. Remember that one? That's a good one. How about people named Jim? <laughs> All right, so that's uh, the future. We have future. no idea what we're talking about next time. We're gonna we thank, will have Corey Metcalf on. We're going to thank you in <laughs> advance for voting for us on the ColumbusPodcastAwards.com. And uh, until then, I think we're ready to show a movie, are we not? I think we are. All right. So uh, let's get ready for Pontypool. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. <laughs>